Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Charlotte Chow, who's the founder of AWID, which is the easiest way to share your knowledge and monetize it through audio lessons. Charlotte has done a MSc in media from LSE and is part of the Angular program. A big thank you to Eric Lando from Cordec for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, um, so you have a very interesting journey. You've been, uh, you know, you started your own company. You've been part of the startups. You know, what got you really started in in, in this crazy world of startups? Always good to start from that, right? The incentive. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I think startup is a great opportunity to work on something mission driven. Like prior to working on a tech startup, I've been part of this international nonprofit that we teach underrepresented groups coding for free. That's called CodeBar.io. For any of you mm-hmm. listening, want to check it out? We do virtual workshops as well, so you can participate from all around the world. And you know, like Cold Bar is one of those first experience where I get to see how through just evangelizing a mission, like which is about making tech more diverse, because tech obviously is dominating the world, right? And if the people who are behind the technology, who are building the products, are not diverse. There are tangible consequences, and we want to be part of the force that makes it better. So, super proud of what we've accomplished to date. We have chapters across the globe, nearly thirty of them now. And you know, during pre-pandemic, we have a lot of live events, and and that's like the first these kind of sense of achievement where you have right working on something you believe in, having a blast doing it, and. Avid is an extension of, I guess, Cold Bar as well, because a lot of the lessons learned from Cold Bar is actually being put into Avid. And uh, are you still running uh, this uh, remotely, uh, or uh, are you still part of part of the program? Yes, I'm still part of Cold Bar, and it's a team of us. And uh, yeah, super proud of what we continue to achieve. And it's very much a grassroots kind of volunteer-based setup. And it's amazing when you have the right mission, how many people you are able to mobilize, right? Because we have a, a coach student setup and all the coaches are people working in tech and they become teachers. All right, and uh, and and. When you talk about Cobar, uh, is it only specific for, for women uh, uh, entrepreneurs or, or tech uh, entrepreneurs or women? Uh, how, how does that work and how, how do you monetize the platform? Oh, uh, Cobar is nonprofit, so we don't okay. necessarily monetize. I mean, we have a job board that helps to our, you know, like operational cost, but we yeah. we'll also have very generous sponsors. So partnership and sponsorship is the main way for us to fund Cobar activities. And um, for Code Bar, our criteria for participation, like I mentioned, it's for underrepresented groups in coding. Oh, so okay. I think that criteria shifts slightly, depends on location. 
So depends on you know if it's a UK branch or a branch in China or you know in Africa, the criteria shift somewhat. But definitely, women across the globe are underrepresented in tech, and then、right. there are other minority groups, LGBTQ, like you know. So the criteria is、um, is somewhat. I mean, I wouldn't want to say flexible, but we we have our own assessment for whether someone is considered underrepresented. We also work with like refugees. Like it's really amazing what we've done. Like I'm super proud. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I was I was having a look at it. I think、uh, there's something uh, uh, you know a lot of disruptive things are happening in education,、uh, especially with what、uh, you know <coughs> programs like Y Combinator, you know, Antler programs, five hundred startups are, are doing with、uh, you know they're really helping our entrepreneurs come up. Uh, with the with the business plan and helping execute it,、uh, and especially with what Lambda School is doing,、uh, I think、uh, that they're doing a great thing for、uh, people who want to learn more about computer science. And yeah, so、um, so another you know interesting thing we we talked before the call was that、uh, you you did stand up comedy and you know that's that's also one of the reasons how you you met up with Eric、uh, who introduced me to you.、Uh, you know how、uh, you know making people laugh is. One of the most difficult things、uh, in the world. What did you, you What did you learn from stand-up comedy, and you know what got you really interested in stand-up comedy? Oh, opening a can of warm there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, stand-up comedy is one of my passions. Like I love it, and in many ways, stand-up comedy prepares you really well for founder's life. If you were to raise money, because <laughs> you know you need to. It's public speaking end of the day, and in a way, it really trains you to relax into yourself as well. Because one thing you will need to learn doing stand up really early on is you're you're gonna bomb, guaranteed. Like、no. you can be Trevor Noah and still bomb it. And、no. the sooner you understand it's part of the process, the sooner you're able to kind of work through the emotional hurdle of it. The more fun you have, and the better you get, and it's the same life lesson, right? Like the startup lesson, you're gonna mess up. Mistakes are guaranteed; it's part of the package. But hey, you can still get back up, and it's not. I think the goal should not be to not fail or not make mistakes. But the goal, both in stand up and startup, <laughs> is to get back up again. No, absolutely. I think I think that's a that's a great lesson, and、um, yeah, you know, I've heard about a lot of stand-up comedians,、uh, you know, doing doing a lot of hard work and you know, doing a lot of rehearsals and all that. Did, did you also rehearse、uh, for stand-up comedies before you you went on any, any memorable experience you have had?、Uh, just to share with the listeners. Oh yeah, I mean the whole process. Even Trevor Noah, like he's one of my favorite, right? Like Daily Show host, he. Despite the busy schedule, he goes to small clubs nearly daily to practice new lines. Because you don't know if a joke is gonna land until you try it on someone. Same to startup, you don't know if your product is gonna have product market fit until you put it out into the market. And but you can do it in small batch and then more, right? Like I think that's the interesting bit. And then so much analogy. Actually, you're making me think about this. Like. You know, for a comedian to try their joke on just a room of twenty people, and if that lands well, the same joke can land in a stadium. 
it's same to start well same to start up right like your your little product you start releasing it to small group of people if it really works you can have great market potential so i mean that goes to paul graham's lesson on doing what doesn't scale like not be afraid of it right so but i, I would say i because of pandemic, there are comedians who kind of practice comedy virtually. It's a different experience. And it, you don't get the excitement as much. There's something magical when you just stand up in person, like being the comedian. Like you get high on people's energy. If your joke lands, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. I recommend everyone trying it out just so you have a chance of feeling what's it like. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's really interesting because... As speaking to somebody virtually or, you know, um, selling on the Zoom is very different from selling someone personally because you look at the body movements and the, and the expressions and all that. And uh, hopefully the, the world goes back to the normal self. Or maybe it could not, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think these are, these are some great tips on, on you know, uh, on comedy. And uh, as, as you recommended, <laughs> maybe hopefully one day I, I'll also have a look at uh, doing a stand-up comedy. Give it a go. Like, it's fun. It's fun. It's the best feeling in the world when your joke lands. Uh, and, you know, before you got into startups, you, you worked in Bloomberg for, for a long time. Uh, how was how the experience there? And, you know, uh, you do have a bit of an experience before you started your startup. Did working in a big company at Bloomberg help you? <laughs> um, mm, another meaty question. So, yeah. I guess part of the Bloomberg story has to do with the uh, immigrant journey, right? <laughs> I think both of us are immigrants. So there are right. something to, to kind of discuss here. Um, so I came to the UK um, to pursue my master's at first and yeah. ended up falling in love with the city, wanted to stay. And the first thing to start out is to have a sponsorship. Um, right. Since I went to London School of Economics, most right. people around me look to join bank. And right. so even though personally, I, I honestly was never interested in joining bank, but um, I wanted to kind of learn more about it. And also I think te technology has always had uh, its appeal to me. So I ended up right. finding this middle ground. I think at the time I started working, tech companies wasn't quite a thing yet, but you would know if you work kind of in fintech space, you will get sponsorship. <laughs> so there's a bit of right. that practicality. But right. uh, I definitely was interested in learning more about the market, understanding all, you know, like financial instruments and all that. So it worked out. And uh, at Bloomberg, I was very deliberate about developing a set of skills I know I would need, and namely sales, you know, just generally becoming a better communicator. And also, um, I, uh, well, I, for a time, was actually uh, <laughs> working on one of the hardest products Bloomberg had, it was uh, enterprise portfolio risk and analytics. So, you know, understanding more about what portfolio managers do, like the tools that really help them do better job. Like that was interesting. Like I had fun doing it, right? While I was traveling the world, serving clients. <laughs> so wow. it served its purpose, but uh, I also know deep down, I don't see myself in FinTech forever. Like it's something that was helpful for, expanding my toolkit. So I, I was very deliberate about wanting to, uh, like while I was working in a big company, collect the skills I need. So even just like a couple of years in, I knew I wanted to start a startup, right? Like it was clear I knew I wanted to do it. 
And、uh, at the time, I was just searching online, be like, "What are some tips, tricks?" And like, I don't know if you've come across this kind of stuff before, but at the time, you go online and be a Quora or just like random forum, people will be like, "Oh, you know, I have this amazing idea, but I don't know how to build." Like, you know, and、yeah. it was like. Nowadays, there are so many amazing no-code tools, but back、mm. then, it's like, oh, whether you know how to code or like, it's not gonna happen. And、mm. they talk about how hard it is to find a good, you know, CTO to work together. So I was like, you know what? I don't wanna, you know, when when I can, when I have the freedom, right, to do whatever I want, I don't wanna feel I'm unable to make a move because. Because I don't know how to code, so I wanted to learn how to code, and I was trying to do it while working full time, right? Like it's not like I could just quit my job and do a boot camp, which I could,、no. I, I couldn't,、no. and I was too impatient to wait. So I basically started teaching myself, and I went to the common usual suspects, and this has to do with some. The story is tied to why Avid deserved to exist. I will get to that. So,、yeah. um, I went to the usual suspects, right? If you're familiar, there are like platforms like Udacity, obviously Udemy as well. Like Udacity specializes in technology, and、yeah. so like I was like, oh, there are all these amazing resources. Let me let me give it a go. So bear in mind, I was working full time, so I would like stay after work in the office to be like studying, right? Like I was like intending to study hard. And I would try to follow through these Udacity courses, and and I would go through it. Like, don't get me wrong, I would go through it, but nothing was really sticking. Like in the moment, I would be able to do the exercise because Udacity has great exercises. In the moment,、yeah. I would go through the exercise and feel like I got it. But then I'll do it maybe twice a week, where I like just to progress. And then the next week, when I come back, I'm like, I don't remember. I don't. I I haven't internalized it. Like I kind of just. Keep on feeling I was stuck in the same place. I was like square zero, and I got so frustrated. I was like, you know what? Instead of forcing myself to sit in front of a computer and do this, I'm gonna go audio first. Right? It was out of desperation, and the reason I did it that way, and it had something to do with the past、uh, success I've experienced going audio first. You know, learning by literally just. Freeing yourself to engage with the content wherever and and also any time, so I use that to learn languages. Right, I learned English, I learned Japanese by going audio first, and it served me tremendously. So while I couldn't, like for a time, I couldn't crack how to learn code, I went audio first, and magic happened. Like it makes no sense almost. Like I was so surprised after doing that for just a couple of weeks. I would say my general like computer science knowledge went to the next level, and then when I went back and trying to do more complex exercises, everything made sense, right? Because、oh. like I think coding, just like any language, it has a lot to do with understanding the computer science way of thinking, right? It's、mm. like it, coding is the language of the computer. So like、okay. if it's about the way of thinking, you can totally go audio first. Right,、mm. and you practice afterwards. I mean, I, I'm not saying you can just do audio first and never practice and still become a computer、mm. scientist. But audio first can really help with your learning journey. Milman is a 
email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. And I've later on interviewed and spoken to people who also contribute their success in like, including a ballerina who ended up becoming a self-taught software engineer. She did it by going audio first. She would marinate her brain, like just listen to a lot of stuff. And, and it helped her make sense of the universe because learning end of the day has a lot to do with building neural connections, right? And neural connections, you can't force it. Like you almost need to kind of uh, give it time, right? And part of giving it time is also to just plant seeds. And when you learn via audio first, you're more relaxed and you're more like just open to letting an idea sit there, even though maybe in the moment you don't feel like you understand it. But if you plant the seed once and then you come across the same com- concept later, that's when it really lands. So audio first is such an amazing way for people, especially adults to learn because you are no longer frustrated, at least right. not as easily, right? You let right. things happen, wash over you. And then when it happens the second time, now it sits in. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think the interesting thing is uh, you don't have to look at the screen. Uh, you can, uh, you know, your eyes don't need to hurt. You don't need to scroll social media channels on the side. You can just, you know, cook and, and listen to, to the audio, to the podcast and, and learn as much as you can. Or, or go for a walk, right? Yeah, like, yeah, or <laughs> any sports, it's the best. Yeah. Correct, yeah. Absolutely. And um, you, interestingly, uh, you're also part of uh, Zinc, uh, which was uh, a mission-driven incubator. And you're also part of Quirky, which is, uh, can, you, can you talk more about, you know, what was what was the incubator and the platform all about? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Happy to talk about Zinc. And so Quirky was the previous startup idea I was working on while I yeah. was at Zinc. And okay. uh, after that, I joined Antler. And so Avid was born during my time at Antler. Just a bit of oh, okay. uh, story time. Nice. Um, nice. So Zinc, yeah, like you said, Zinc VC is a mission-driven VC, right? Like the concept is similar to both EF and Antler. It just has mm-hmm. a very strong mission focus. And um, like I mentioned earlier, for me, a well, startup is a great way for you to work on missions you believe in. So like when I came across Zinc, it was like, oh, it's speaking my language. I like it, right? And um, and obviously, like any of these accelerators, it's, well, I think these ones are more incubators than accelerators because it's like pre-company, right? So you go there with um, the hope of meeting your startup wife or husband. <laughs> like, yeah. So... I tell people, because sometimes when people ask me, like, what's it like to join an incubator, all that, what to expect? I say it's like speed dating, even though I've never been on a speed date, but like, that's the best way to describe it. Uh, And you're kind of, you know, there's a degree of luck involved. You might meet the right person to build a company ways. And let's face it, except the outliers, it takes 10 years, 20 years to build a great company. It's 
you know, it's longer than some people's marriages. So it's really one of those things where there's a degree of luck involved and uh, it might or might not work out. But chances are there's nothing to lose because you would have met a group of really amazing individuals and there are friendships that can last a lifetime. So I had a blast uh, at Zinc. I met great people and also it helped me kind of experience or also realizing, I guess, partly realizing more what I wanted in a potential co-founder, right? And yeah. Good. Interesting. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that you went to Antler and I think that's that's what uh, Avid had started. I think you, you, since you mentioned about uh, your interest in uh, audio learning, um, while you're building Avid, you know, how did you uh, look at differentiating a product from, you know, other e-learning companies that have been, uh, and 2020 have been an inflection point for because of COVID and because a lot of people had to stay at home, uh, study on, uh, you know, children were studying on the Zoom, people were working remotely. Um, so how, 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 how did you think about differentiating AWIT from other e-learning companies? Mm, very good question. Very good question. So the way we see it, we are doing audio learning, nice. but on top of it, there is this social layer, right? Like okay. it's, I don't want to throw in a lot of jargons, but the best way to describe what we're trying to do, right? The kind of learning experience, it's a synchronous social learning. Yeah. And, and that's a bet we're taking, right? But uh, the beauty here is uh, we're flipping the classroom on its head. Like it's been something people in educators talk a lot about, right? Yes, during the pandemic, schools had to bring students online, but right. they felt like they were kind of forcing it to be live, essentially, right? They're forcing people to be live and stare at the screen because that's what they believed is needed. And kind of not too different to, you know, for people who have been to very active interactive workshops versus like just passively <laughs> sitting in a classroom, like, just being live on its own is not enough, but but not to say there is no need for this process of for someone who knows the knowledge to impart the knowledge. But there's also this process, like really important process that really impact learning outcome, which is learners own effort in engagement with the content, right? And so the way we do it is the like the lecture part, I mean, don't want to use that word, but let's say the, yeah, the lesson part, it's, yes, it's asynchronous, it's pre-recorded, right? But you can consume it within a time window because these social groups are organized in a time frame with a set start and end date, right? Yeah. So there is an expectation and like sort of accountability for you. You know, you're expected to do this during this time frame but give you somewhat flexibility because if I'm not available at 8 p.m. UK time, I can still not miss out. I can still consume the content at my own time, but I'm not just expecting you to listen to it, right? Like the social aspect is all around students asking, sharing their own exercise answers with each other, asking each other questions and also surfacing questions to the creator. So you get feedback and we are designing this as asynchronous because of our belief of what's, you know, what makes sort of online learning more flexible. 
and accessible, right? So we think asynchronous is important, but there is a live element that comes from peer to peer. So between the students, they can have live sessions, right? But you don't have to you don't have to sit in front of your computer at a set time just to engage with the content. And if anything, the learning is driven by student questions. And that's the part where, where we're turning the classroom on its head, right? Like, it's almost like in the ideal world, professors would expect students to read, um, you know, aside reading before class and then come to class to ask questions. But what tends to happen is you go to class to listen to the professor and then yeah. you try to figure out. So we're like, no, like now you have to listen on your own time, right? Listen right. on your own time, but like discuss afterwards. And that's what we're creating. And that's how we see us differentiating. Got it. So, so essentially it's pre-recorded sessions where uh, cohort, uh, you know, do their do their homework and then they discuss and uh, they learn together. But I think that's that's the problem with Audacity and Udemy where you're just doing the courses on your own and it becomes difficult to complete the courses because uh, you know it's difficult to uh, coordinate with others uh, in the end of batch. And uh, yes. yeah, no, that's I think I think that's very interesting. And you know uh, when it comes to uh, podcasting and all, I think it's very important to uh, have a great audio. Uh, uh, how, how important is for a, for a creator uh, who's trying to build an audio course, uh, say on on uh, Avid or any other platform? You know, how important is the, the audio production quality? Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, no, good question. So, because this is audio first product, having good audio is important. But right. you're a podcaster, you know this. To get high quality audio is a lot easier and a lot cheaper than okay, to get okay. high quality video. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah, because of that, it's actually very accessible for creators and we have guidelines on helping them achieve it. Not to mention there are ex exciting technologies coming up where you know, in the future we'll be able to process a lot of these files to make it even better quality for creators. And um, yeah, like the next era is all about audio. Nice. Was super nice. excited. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, that's that's what drove me to to podcasting. Uh, you know, so that you can li even listen from anywhere, and it's much cheaper and uh, quicker to you know build uh, something in audio. And uh, when it comes to uh, pricing, uh, have you thought about you know what is the best pricing for a, for an audio product? Uh, how do how do you look at pricing? And what suggestion would you to creators who want to you know price the products? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. So when it comes to pricing, the thing is, it's not one size fits all because it's really important about thinking through from the learners or slash buyers perspective, right? Like students depend on the concept of the course because if you are teaching something that's tangible with concrete outcome, like say teaching someone how to code, and the person will use it to land a job that increase their earning potential tenfold. How do you even put a price on it, right? That's why people are willing to participate in Lambda school kind of model, take, right. give a cut of their salary. So right. if you think, if you pay that upfront, it's really expensive, right? And, um, and, and yet there are other type of content, it's potentially more hobby-based, interest-based, just people want to learn a little bit more about so one of our courses about, you know, women artists in the Renaissance. 
And the reason, you know, our creator is super keen on creating that is because these women are badass. Like they <laughs> went against all odds. Like in the Renaissance, few artists make a living, and very few, very few female artists manage to make a living. Right in such a competitive, like old, old age way of thinking in the world, how it worked, and all that. So these are great role models. She wants to deep dive into this topic, and of course, is a perfect platform for her to do that. But are people going to pay tons of money for this? It's interest based. It's more exploration. So the price will be a little cheaper, affordable. But because people care about the subject, they're still waiting to pay, you know, twenty, thirty dollars for it. And but if you're teaching something tangible with outcome, where the you know, yes, it's audio first, but it doesn't mean like you still are gonna have homeworks to do. Like if you really want to get the result, you're gonna have to do the homework. So that kind of course then will be priced a lot higher. So it really depends on the subject and、uh, what you know, both what the creator wants to teach and also what they believe is a great outcome to aim for. To have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives. Increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com/socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Very interesting. And、um, you know, why are you building a product?、Uh, I was just wondering because. You know who, who's your, who's your target audience, and、uh, how do you look at you know onboarding、uh, customers、uh, from both sides of、uh, you know、uh, of the place? How how do you、uh, get creators on board and customers on board, and who who are you actually targeting? Yeah,、uh, so you know, I guess the one liner of how we see Avid evolve is where a SaaS enabled curated marketplace. And I had the curated, curated part is because we do think it's important to give learners、um, a kind of a level of quality assurance, almost. And but then their SaaS part is crucial to our thesis. So there are two theses we're operating on. One is audio first. I think I've already articulated why we believe in it. And the other thesis is really the future. And of essentially the younger generations, right? In the future, they would rather learn from people they can relate to, and people they essentially have more of an emotional attachment to. So they would rather learn from creators than traditional high school teachers. So creators are about to become teachers. Either some of them might realize it or not, but the trend is already happening. You can see it, and、mm-hmm. so. With that being a thesis, what we want to do is to play a role in making the medium the go-to, right? Like audio first. We want to make audio first the go-to option for creators. So SaaS enables us to do that, right? We become the enabler. So anyone with interest insights to share, they can use our platform to create their own gated content. So whether their intention is to use it to 
directly monetize by selling the course, or they want to use this as a lead generation, just like how people write newsletters, right? In order to collect email addresses, it's up to them. Like all these use cases, we can facilitate. And uh, but then what we achieve is, I guess, this movement towards our audio-first thesis, right? More people are creating audio-first content. That's what we want to see. And um, and these are structured learning content. So and that's brings better outcome for the learner. So like these two layers kind of come into play and as for how we attract creators. So there are two, two tiers, right? Cause we haven't launched our self-servicing platform yet. We're only working with creators. Um, the ones who, you know, both help us set examples for future self-servicing creator. They can see, right. Instead of thinking, Oh, what is the audio course like? Like a yeah. bunch of examples you can check out for yourself. And, um, and also they, they help us explore different categories of content to get a better sense of what works better. Cause it's, it's iterative, right? Like audio first learning is going to be the next big thing, but okay. the exact details, there's a lot more innovation that can happen. And we're using this opportunity to also refine our product. Okay. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, creators who have already onboarded, uh, does it make sense to, you know, pre-sell the courses? Because, you know, I, I've tried to build courses on platforms like Teachable and all, but since I didn't have much of an audience, uh, you know, I was, I was unable to to sell the course. But any any advice to listeners who are looking to, you know, pre-sell the course first time just to just to see if, you know, they can sell the course or not? Do, do you think, you know, what, what are your suggestions on marketing such courses? Sure. Um, I don't know if you read it on our website. We actually, as part of our platform tools, we allow, like, facilitate the pre-sale. Because right. e even if you look at, like, really seasoned online educators, right, yeah. there are going to be some of their courses that doesn't really have much of an audience. The subject okay. doesn't resonate. It happens. It happens to the best, right? Okay. So in the true iterative spirit like a Kickstarter style course launch is the best. It's the best for, for everyone, if anything, because it de-risks your project. You don't have to go through all the production until you know there is demand. And obviously what constitutes success is up to you. Just like on Kickstarter, like people have totally different thresholds for success. So as for how to market it, like so far I've, we've only worked with creators who already have an audience and uh, the marketing front has two layers to it. One is to first, you know, when we say you want to know if the course is landing, like if it's resonating. So you would essentially launch it to your warm audience first. And there are going to be benchmarks that we would recommend based on what we, we've learned so far, what's healthy, what's not. And then you're like, oh, this course is outperforming the minimum threshold. So I know like there's big potential here. And uh, you would only go into production after it over exceeds your threshold. So you know it's going to be, you know, a fruitful project. You know, like, you know, financially, you're not wasting, you're not wasting money or time. Okay. And uh, you can still, because most creators create, you know, you don't just create for the money you're creating because you enjoy it. So you okay. still get to enjoy it, but also there is some financial upside. So why not? And not to mention, I think from the learner point of view, there's definitely a benefit in having some skin in the game 
like free. People like to hear it's free, but sometimes it makes it harder to prioritize by investing some money. Just like in events, right? If it's ticketed events, you have higher higher um, actual show up rate. If it's free events, a lot of people won't show on the day. So same logic with your knowledge. There should be a paywall just because you know you protect your own insights as well and but it's it can still be affordable so it's a win-win situation for everyone yeah interesting and um you know um, how, how should a creator engage with uh with the customers uh, you know especially when it comes to completing the course because i think that's that's a, a, a big struggle which udemy and you know uh, some or uh, teach in another course do you think it makes sense to have a, have a own facebook group or a slack community uh, to to you know keep it keep engaging with the with the customers yeah uh, good question that's something we are trying to solve through our design of the tools so yeah. like we have the cohort aspect baked in and yeah. we'll give you insights on how a learner is engaging so you get flagged if someone is like oh this person hasn't, you know, engaged with their their little intimate circle for a while. Then, because remember, these courses are created because of our thesis. These courses are created by creators who, you know, like the learners essentially already have a relationship, emotional attachment to you. So you as a creator, if you were to ping someone, like that's like oh amazing like my favorite you know professor my favorite teacher is like saying hi or something like that emotional bond motivates the learner tremendously so so yeah like i think we provide tool to help creator to like do these like engagements without them spending much time like you literally can just like ping them be like automated reminder but it's coming from your accounts right so that makes it really flattering as well <laughs> so yeah that's how we help creators solve the learner engagement problem and uh, also we attach learners access to the creator with their engagement so say if you are uh, the most engaged then at graduation you get to you know be invited on stage have a conversation with the creator so graduation is an event to celebrate card and um uh, I wanted to understand, you know, uh, 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 since I've been part of a marketplace, uh, a trend marketplace called Oye Rooms, and a uh, bit of a context, you know, we're trying to onboard hotels uh, on one side and also trying to create customers. Uh, and, you know, the idea for, for the company was to to build supply, which is like uh, get more hotels on board. Uh, how do you look at, you know, uh, when you're building a marketplace, how do you look at building with supply or demand uh, when, you, when you're starting out? And, you know, uh, how, how do you make sure that, you know, the creators don't, don't churn out uh, out of this marketplace? Sure. I mean, it's a classic chicken egg problem. Marketplaces yeah. are... The sexiest when you have it, network effects, but also right. notoriously hard to build. Right. So um, the way we see it is like try to solve for the side that experienced the pain more ac- acutely, right? Yeah. Like we believe when it comes to kind of online learning, there is pain felt by both the learner and the creator. And uh, because of our thesis, and also having interviewed and worked with as many creators as we have, we know 
there are gaps in the current market, and you know they've already. We just ask how many creators who've attempted to create a video course but never went through it. It's hard, right? But a lot of that has to do with the medium. The medium makes it more difficult. So we know we're solving direct pain point, and because in our platform we have the coaching baked into the product. So you're you're kind of even as a self-servicing creator, you're being walked through how to create a course, and、yeah. it's almost. Education experiencing itself, right? Like we're living by what we preach. <laughs> like、mm-hmm. so, by the end of it, you have something to to show, and、um, and it's a very fulfilling process because Richard Feynman, one of my favorite in human beings who ever existed, right?、Mm-hmm. Nobel Prize、yeah. physicist. He, I mean, I don't know if he's the person who coined it, the term, but he definitely made it popular that teaching is the best way to learn. Okay. And everyone who is really a lifelong learner know they're still learning.、Okay. Like you can never be an expert. Expert, you're still learning. Even Richard Feynman was still learning about physics. Physics. So、yeah. everyone's learning. But the best way to teach, like learn, is to teach. So like our platform also helps everyone to become better learner.、It、sounds so meta, but that's what we believe we're doing, right? And. So yeah, to go back to the marketplace question, like which side to focus on first? How we are tackling it? You know, we see ourselves、um, doing like we're solving the problem for creator first. We're SaaS enabled. The marketplace is cherry on top. The focus is on the SaaS. Correct, and、uh, you know,、uh, Richard Feynman is also one of one of my favorite、uh, and、uh, you know human beings.、Uh, just want to you know.、Uh, uh, Uh, follow up on that, and、uh, you know, when it comes to,、uh, I understand you, you know, still pre-seed、uh, stage, yeah, but how do you look at the revenue model? Is it is it going to be more like a subscription-based model, which which Teachable has, or you know,、uh, or is it going to be、uh, you know commission-based structure where you're going to、uh, you know make money from the creators? How do how do you look at the revenue model for you? Yeah,、um, so we have a hybrid revenue model in place. So for self-servicing creators, you can just pay a low-cost flat fee. Right, we're、okay. helping you to to share your passion, teach, and for creators that we help them more. Right, and there are different degrees of of service we can provide, and we'll also be taking bets on certain creators. Then it's a revenue share. So it's a hybrid we're pursuing. All right, and I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Um, actually, I have a new one to recommend. I love this book so much. It's called The Psychology of Money. If you、yeah. haven't haven't came across it yet, highly recommend it. I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think、uh, is it the author called Morgan? Uh, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the author, but I think it's been recommended in a couple of podcasts before. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess yeah, the no, world is small. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I will. We'll put that in the show notes. And、uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started working on Avid, what is the one thing you focused on or done anything differently? Ooh, specifically on Avid journey, what I might do differently? Hmm. Interesting question. So, when it comes to this, like I feel. So I'm someone who kind of believes 
I don't believe in failure. Like everything is a stepping stone. Like no. you, as long as you're doing your best in the moment, if it doesn't have the desired outcome, it just means you had something to learn from it. So yeah. like looking on the Avid journey so far, we've been doing our best and I feel very blessed with the team we have and, you know, have made some kind of mistakes along the way for sure. Would I do it differently? Could I do it differently? I don't think so. You know, I kind of had to learn the hard way in this case. So I don't think there's going to be an audio course that could have saved my life. <laughs> but, but yeah, no. No, uh, got it. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? My favorite tool? Yeah. Uh, well, besides the usual suspect, and by the way, we actually don't use Slack as a team. We use the other tool called Twist. Twist because okay. we, yeah, because we're a very zen team. We like to keep things less chaotic. And Twist makes it easier in terms of like team communication and stuff. So it's more organized. Um, but besides that, I would, I mean, being in audio space, I do absolutely love the script. You being a podcaster probably knows them too. It's it's amazing tool. Like it just, you know, we recommend it to create podcasters we work with as well. It just makes everyone's life so much easier. Absolutely, I think uh, Discord is one of one of my favorite tools as well. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, Charlotte, what is the best way people can uh, know about Avid and know more about you? Sure. Uh, well, for Avid, just go to avid.fm. Um, like if you are a creator, right, if you already have a following, then please feel free to leave your contacts. We'll reach out to you and, you know, give you more additional support. If you want to be a self-servicing creator, just also leave, you know, sign up for a newsletter and then keep your eyes peeled when we publicly launch. So you can just like help yourself and <laughs> create your content. Um, yeah, that's Avid, Avid.fm. <laughs> Awesome. And, uh, you know, we'll put that in the show notes. Salut, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you. It's been great meeting you as well. Have a fantastic rest of the evening. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>